Hi, and welcome to our podcast. Today we have Bill McCurdy, who's been a uh, camera operator, DP, for probably over 40 years. And uh, he's here today to uh, discuss some of the uh, perils and pitfalls of, of his career and, uh, uh, and also his successes as well. Uh, while being hired to produce corporate video. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. It's nice to be here. Tell me a little bit about uh, how, did you, uh, how did you start this illustrious career of yours? <laughs> well, after graduating from college, I spent a year uh, working freelance in the Philadelphia market uh, doing anything I could get my hands on, and uh, work was sporadic. Fortunately, I was uh, living at home with my parents, and they supported me for uh, that time. And um, I eventually got a full-time job working as a news shooter in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And that was my start. I lasted all of two and a half months. So this is how you got your start, okay? What were some of the lessons learned being out in the middle of nowhere and being a young guy and um, at least you got your hands on the equipment and technology because back then, uh, you and I both know, being a camera operator myself, you weren't allowed to, you weren't, you weren't allowed to touch any of the equipment because it was so expensive and they had afraid you were break it, but now you you had your hands on the camera, and back then, was it a tube camera? Was it a three-chip camera? Take me back to when you were lugging around 100 pounds of equipment to shoot black and white video. You were so young. <laughs> there, there was no three-chip cameras. Ah. We were shooting film. We were shooting, and we had some... 16 millimeter we film. We were shooting news film uh, at the station. Uh, Go they, figure. This is 1978. Um, ENG, Electronic News Gathering, uh, was just starting. In its infancy uh, stage, yeah. You had to shoot very judiciously. So not only were you capturing the action, whatever the, the subject matter was, you still had to go back out, take all that heavy equipment and shoot Oh, yeah. The images that fit the story. Yeah. So the reason why we're getting together and discussing this is because when corporate America goes to hire a uh, video production crew, uh, they don't know all the steps that are involved. They don't know the, uh, the equipment that's involved. So bring me up to uh, the point where you transitioned from, well, what were some of the challenges back then? Even... Even the challenges back then, you still had to interview somebody. You had a, they had maybe had makeup, or you were in a live event. <laughs> well, makeup. <laughs> okay. Again, shooting news, it's it's a meatball operation. Mm -hmm. You get in, you get out, and when you're shooting film, you have to get back early enough, like three three thirty in the afternoon, for the film to be processed, or else you were in trouble. Or else, you know, because it took at least a half hour, minimum a half hour, to process the film. And you can only start to cut it if you had a script. And you had to wait for the reporter to hand you the script. So you, and the reporter was also 
making a, a voiceover recording somewhere else. So all while, that had to be, re, you know. Right, while this is going on, he's yeah. doing the voiceover work. Yeah, so I may script. have an interview and, and he or she were the reporters were, would write to that interview mm -hmm. and I would see where it was coming in and, I would, and that's part of what I was shooting. And everything else would be VO, voiceover. And I would have to have my B-roll, but we would literally attach the, the B-roll to our, the A-roll. Uh, and it would be just one long roll, and it would be roughly a minute 30. So let's talk about um, some of the, so y you go from film, you get into, you start to transition to video. So how did, so where did you work at, and then when did you, when did you decide to go off on your own? Well, my next job was in Harrisburg in, uh, let's see, I think it was November, of 78 and mm -hmm. I was I stayed there until June of 79 and do you recall what happened in March of 1979 in the Harrisburg area I do not I will give you the clue then it is America's worst uh, nuclear accident it was called Three Mile Island I clearly remember it because it was a serious and thing. It was, there was news coverage for days about it. And I was working in downtown Harrisburg. So not, you were right there. I was right there, and uh, we were, I don't know, 10 blocks from the governor's mansion. A little scary. Um, everything was scary because nobody knew what the hell was going on. Uh, what was interesting was that three weeks prior to the, the accident, the, a movie came out that talked about um, what was called the China Syndrome. If there was a real meltdown of a n nuclear right, plant. power plant. And it would, you know, the theory is that it would melt down clear through to China. Well, this, and in the movie, uh, the question came out, and the movie was with Michael Douglas, Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, uh, Walter, or not, uh, what's his name, Brimley, uh, really great cast, and Michael Douglas plays a film cameraman. So we all kind of related to it when, once we got to see it. But the question in the movie was asked, well, if the plant melts down, uh, what kind of area are we talking about it affecting? And again, in the movie, the answer was, Oh, somewhere in about the size of the state of Pennsylvania. So three weeks after the movie makes its debut, that's what happens in the middle of the state of Pennsylvania. There's a nuclear accident. Richard Thornburg was the governor at the time. You know, I spoke to Dick Thornburg in, I guess, around 2001, 2002. Uh -huh. Uh, at an event that I was covering in New York City. And I introduced myself and I said I was there and he looked at me and he said, wasn't that something? He said, we had no idea, no clue what the hell was going on. And Jimmy Carter came up and visited. To your town? To the town. Okay. He had no idea and he was a, what a submarine uh, nuclear guy, en engineer, mm -hmm. I believe. 
Um, but he hired a guy that came in and just took over because what happened at Three Mile Island is exactly what the movie depicted. The dials were wrong. The decisions that the, the managers or the, at least the employees made at Three Mile Island were all wrong. So what were you doing during this event? What, what, what was your responsibility? So I, <laughs> I was shooting on my, my days off. I was working for CBS. Were you shooting film or video? Uh, yes, a little bit of both. Oh. By that point, we were shooting a little bit of both. Um, the, the video cameras were coming in very slowly, uh, but we were still shooting video, uh, film. Um, my days off, CBS <laughs> came in from New York. Mm -hmm. They pretty much took over the station. And I ended up working for them. Um, and I ended up in New York working for CBS. Uh, and I <laughs> ended up, you know, uh, 15 years later, knowing, right. I, I recognized some of the guys that I worked with in 1978. I was, work, I was working as a, as a news shooter there as well as working as a courier for CBS, okay. getting their crews around town because they didn't know where, where they were going. I was a little more familiar with it. And that also gave me entree into my next, my succeeding jobs. And when I applied for work in New York City at WCBS as a news shooter, you know, that was rather prominent on my, on my resume. And I think that pretty much opened that door because uh, I was working for a CBS affiliate. I was also doing work for CBS at the time. Um, and so you paid your dues. So I, <laughs> you know, I paid my dues. And, and the kind of the interesting thing is before the accident, I, I had Sundays and Mondays off. The accident occurred on a Monday, I believe. Mm -hmm. I was there that Saturday. The, I, they sent me to do uh, a voiceover. So all I had to do was just take some pictures. So they, through my island company, invited the press there that Saturday to shoot their facility. And I did that um, that Saturday. And it was like a, a 20 or 30 second voiceover. And I'm not sure what they were commemorating, but it might have been you know, a five year or 10 year anniversary. Right. But they invited the, the news crews in to do that on that Saturday. So I was there that Saturday. I don't know if things started to go wrong then. Maybe I pushed the wrong button. But, but the accident, they didn't reveal the accident until that Monday, so two days later. Um, it, was, it was just an absolutely crazy time because nobody knew what was going on. And if it wasn't for Jimmy Carter uh, bringing this guy in, this nuclear ac expert, and re trying to reverse everything, the thing would have melted down. Uh, it doesn't explode. It just melts down. Uh, there's radiation everywhere. And one of the things, and they will never admit this, but what they had to do was release 
radioactive steam. They had to, or else it would have melted down. That's, that's just a fact. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> Nobody says this is what happened, but we all know that's what happened. And for the next year, the spike rate was enormous in, matter, in, in terms of animal miscarriages and, and a few human miscarriages. Um, but we all, we all survived. We all got through it. Um, I don't know if anybody was really affected by it because uh, I lasted another two and a half months there and I took another job working in the corporate environment, uh, strictly video. Okay, <laughs> so let's bring our uh, viewers to talking about the corporate environment, why you decided to go into it, and this now you, you went off on your own. Well, I didn't go off on my own for another 15 years. Um, so I, I worked in a corporate environment. One, it was, um, it was for Sperry Univac, which used to be the, was the two computer people or corporations in America. One was IBM, the other was Sperry Univac. Mm. Sperry Univac was delivering mainframes to the United States government. And uh, that's how they made their money. Uh, in the meantime, IBM was doing both. They had mainframes, but they also realized the future of personal computers. Sperry didn't. Um, I worked for them in their studios uh, in the middle of New Jersey. Um, I learned a lot from a technical point of view. I learned to read a vector scope, uh, an oscilloscope. I, I started to understand the, the electronic side of video, which they don't teach you in college. Um, you need to go to a technical school or you learn it by, by working in an environment like that. Um, I left when I left Harrisburg, I went to, to New Jersey, and I end also at Spur Univac, I had about five of my old buddies from my college days all working there as well. So it was fun. And, and you were getting paid for and it. And I was getting paid for it. And I was making 13.5 a year. This is 1980, 13.5. Um, but it was fun for a year because I got to work with all my old buddies, my friends, uh, people, you know, one or two people that I went to high school with. Um, it, it, was, it was great. I, I really enjoyed working for them. But it was corporate and it was too often incredibly boring. And, and I did some of my best work there but I really love news I really love putting the camera on your shoulder and running and getting and, the story and running and gunning right. and getting the story and learning how to do live shots I was my own director of photography when you shoot when you shoot news that backlight you're 
you're you're working. You're your own DP. Right. You're, there's no one to tell you you got to get this how to execute the shot, unless you've got a pain in the ass reporter. You're working now. With. Are you working for a station at the time? Or are you so so you're after, completely after, independent? So after I'm 15 years away from independence. Oh. So after Sperry, I started working for New Jersey Public Television. They had a. a and that's show. a state-funded television yes. Yes. station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so I started work. I they had a program called New Jersey uh, Nightly News. Mm -hmm. uh, it was through the New Jersey Network. It was a state operation. Um, and at that time, you're you're now clearly shooting video. And I'm, and I'm shooting video. Okay. Uh, so so I went from shooting video at Sperry mm -hmm. to sh now shooting video with uh, New Jersey Network. I worked there for, for two years, mm -hmm. and I was, I was really starting to get bored. I was getting tired of working for the people that I was working for. I didn't like who the chief photographer was. I didn't, really didn't care for the, uh, the new news director. I mean, no one liked the new news director at the time, and it was, it, it, it was really becoming a bad shop. And these were like labor-intensive setups. I mean, there, there was buildings and people and oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and salaries and, 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 and now now there when when I got hired at New Jersey Network for the first six months, I shot film. Hmm. So I shot film as a one-man band. And then when they got to cameras, uh, video cameras, that's when they gave us sound people. And, and, and you had, a, it was a, um, a real two-man crew. That was- Plus the reporter. And a reporter. And, that, and sometimes a producer, occasionally a producer. But that worked pretty well. Um, and not to say that there weren't, flaws in that system because a lot of times there were mechanical issues with the deck and it would tear up the tape. Um, it, you know, they were the, you know, the, the early days and, and there was a lot of maintenance to these things. And sometimes they would work flawlessly for weeks and then you get screwed. So, um, well, that's quite a journey. So take me to, you become independent. No, 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 you're getting way ahead of the game. So from, so that was 1982, <laughs> and, and from 1982, I, I got work at WCBS in New York City. Full-time? Uh, full-time, they hired me full-time. And that was, I, I was working, let's see, I think I was making 24,000 a year at New Jersey Network, when I and I easily tripled that when I went to New York because that was New York was a union shop and there was virtually guaranteed overtime mm -hmm. and that's where we all and our our base salary was like 45 47 we made our money on overtime um, so when they had their any cutbacks they said we had to cut back on overtime you know everybody you know, complained for about two weeks, and then the station found out that 
they couldn't exist, they couldn't get things done without get it, putting people on overtime. Um, wow. So in any case, that was, that was 1982, and uh, in, in 1983, I got married, and we were living in New York City, and we were there for five years, and then we ended up having children, moved out to New Jersey, and I was doing the commute back in, into uh, New York, uh, for, let's see, I guess about f five or six years. My wife now, when you did the commute, did you drive in? Yes, the company, well, not all the time. Occasionally, I would, I would, sometimes I would drive my own car in, sometimes I would take the mm. train in, which was kind of a pain, um, and eventually the company gave me a vehicle because it was more convenient for me to have a vehicle with the equipment so they could call me at home or as I'm coming in and rerouting me so I don't have to come in get the equipment and a vehicle and then come out so it it it, it behooved everyone to do that so I did that for about about six years or so and in 1995 um, my wife was already freelancing, and, and I realized that she and I could be a team. So she was a writer-producer, and she had, was developing some pretty good corporate clients, and we ended up being a team for a lot of those corporate clients. Uh, in the meantime, I was able to develop my own clients as, uh, as an independent and I was also back working for CBS as a freelancer. I was, you know, and, and I still work for them. I also work for C, uh, NBC and, mm -hmm. and uh, ABC. Uh, for a few years, I was working for Fox. Um, that, that was actually f fun and interesting because I was shooting documentary style for Fox. They had a documentary unit uh, show uh, called Fox Files, and it was so unconventional, but it trained me to be a very good and alert cameraman. A storyteller. Because they, 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 they wanted 60-minute lighting. They wanted top-notch lighting, and they, but they, the shooting style, you just couldn't mount the camera on a tripod and just just follow the action and just kind of sit there. So take me through that process. So now you have to become a lighting director. Oh yeah. And a DP. Yeah. And you're doing like multiple things. So how did you how did you figure out the lighting? And tell me obviously back then there was no such thing as LED lighting. I really learned to do it when I started to freelance and I I started getting some 60-minute jobs, mm -hmm. and I was always brought in as the second camera, and I'd watch their, essentially the DP on the job, who was their staff cameraman, light it, and he would do it differently than I would, but it always looked really good, and so I, I took, you know, the, I made it for me. It was it was a lesson, and I took those lessons and I developed 
uh, my light, lighting style based on that. Um, Were there any instances where a light has fallen or something happened on the set where uh, something was rigged up and, yeah. and then it became a big problem? Well, I did, uh, I interviewed Senator McCain on Capitol Hill and uh, one of the lights was suspended and it, it was, the light was rigged kind of on an L. So it was weighted down on the light stand, but then there was a, the, the stand goes like this and then it has a, an L rod. Like a knuckle that's holding yeah, the rod right. that goes across. And, and we all have them, and, but we have to use counterbalances you know, you put in some sandbags uh, to do that. And so there's, now there's a lot of weight. There's a lot yeah, of so counter counterweight. Yeah. Because you've got again, you, you're not having an LED, which is a nice lightweight instrument. You've got the old style uh, tungsten with with a soft box mount on right. that, and so it's it's a little weighty. And uh, so we're, we're we did a a two camera shoot with Senator McCain, who I, I really liked, uh, and I voted for him. Um, he, he was really a good guy and, and uh, very affable, and uh, we, we just, you know, it's, it's, it's always nice to sit down with these people uh, that you've seen on television and you just don't know what they're really like. He was a great guy. Um, and it's, you know, and I'll say the same thing about Mario Cuomo but we'll get to him okay. <laughs> in a moment. But with Senator McCain, we finish the shoot, we, we start to break down, and uh, one of the lights that was on that, uh, that was rigged up, that was, had the counterbalance, uh, somebody lifted up the, the weight, the counterbalance weight, and the light fell over and it fell over on me. Now fortunately it wasn't, it wasn't hot, but the whole rigging fell on my forehead. And you know, and I, I did one of these, and I'm, it hurt, but you know, I'm still alive and well, and I took my hand away from it, and I could see in the shape of a half a moon blood and two or three people were in the room including the senator you know looked at me and said oh that doesn't look good <laughs> so there was a major gash in my head um, and I went into the senator's bathroom and you know he he put a we got a cold wash rag and we put that on there and and uh, in the meantime you know he was insisting that I see the the uh, I guess the the Senate's uh, nurse, because I mean he knew there was a gash in there that would require a stitch or two. Oh. Well, <laughs> uh, me being a an, an idiot man, you're a guy. Uh, I, I'm a guy. You're gonna put some I, glue I, on it. I just it kept right. And I finished, you know, cleaning yep. up. We got out of there, and I drove back. 
and with know, the gash in your with head. the gash, you know, I'm driving like this, and, you know, and finally, you know, the blood finally coagulated, and you know, it, was, it wasn't bleeding anymore, and uh, and I got home, and my wife turned to me, and, and she looked, and said, "What? What happened?" And I said, "Ah, oh, you, you know, a piece of equipment fell on me." Well, do you think? No, it's it's fine. It's it stopped bleeding. It's it's fine, and you know, I got a nice scar. <laughs> to this day. But yeah, things like that do happen. I have never had any equipment fall on a subject. You know, and this this stuff does happen. So I had, um, many years ago, a young girl comes over and wants to rent uh, video lights. So uh, long story short, I rented the video lights, they weren't returned on time, and a week goes by, and I'm starting to wonder, like, what's what's going on with my lights? This young guy shows up, and at the time, it was like a low lighting kit. It was like that plastic yeah. kit with all the lights in there. And as he's bringing it in, I see water dripping out of the case. And I'm like, and I, I just knew what happened yeah. just from being in the business for so many years. And he goes, yeah, I'm sorry I'm returning these. I go, I go, well, I don't know who you are. I said, I appreciate getting the lights back. And... Um, and I said, you know, they were supposed to be here about a week ago. And uh, I go, let me ask you a question. Um, why is there water dripping out of the case as you brought it through the front door? And he's like, oh, you know, um, he gets all nervous and stuff. I go, I go, let me guess. I said, the lights were most likely set up underneath the sprinkler head. And the sprinkler went off on my right. He goes, how did you know this? And I said, just from experience. I know this because... You know, you, these are the mistakes that you don't want to make. So the girl that rented these video lights set them up underneath the sprinkler head. The sprinkler head went off on the third floor, and there was a river coming down the stairwell in this well-known um, uh, hotel. And there was events going on, and, the, the, of course, all the fire trucks showed up, and they, they, it was over, over a million dollars worth of damage. Uh, it was like a river coming down from the from the top floor to the bottom floor, and so um, these are the reasons why when somebody says to you, "Well, why do you charge so much? How come your prices are more than the, the you know the young guy that's getting into the business?" And well, you would think it would never happen, it, and it does happen. It does happen. And it, and, and well, uh, you know, so what's the value of somebody? that, you know, you and I, unfortunately, or fortunately, well, we don't have tattoos, and for, and for the, we don't have ponytails, and for but the, we have experience. For the same reason that when you hire someone to work on your house, they better be bonded. Yeah. If you do hire a union guy, mm -hmm. guess what? They're automatically bonded. Right. And right. It, that's just the way. But I know, for the most part, if you hire someone that is incorporated or LLC'd, they're going to have insurance. They'll, they'll be bonded. So if you could give one tip to somebody starting out in lighting, let's say somebody realizes like um, somebody's going to go produce a corporate video and, uh, and you and I know as being in this business for 20, 30, 40 years doing this, that there's a huge difference between using natural light and lighting the subject properly, it, it makes that subject come to life. It, it gives them a, a look and feel, texture, and depth to it. 
and creates a certain, it evokes a feeling. So yes, you could use natural light and hope for the best. And the problem is with natural light, what happens with natural light? It's constantly changing. Like if you got the sun rays coming through the window, there's clouds going by, so it's kind of intermittent. Or if you're in So a, the question is what advice I have for people yeah. to learn lighting, to learn how to light? Mm -hmm. Watch television. Watch the old movies. Watch news and observe and, and pay attention to what's being lit and how it's being lit and pay attention to the background. So there's many factors that go into producing a video, whether it's for entertainment or corporate. You and I do corporate video. Corporate video involves many, many steps along the way and lighting's just one little crumb of the process. You have, you have all these steps. You, you have uh, the planning process, the, the, um, the blocking the shots, the walking through it, depending, you know, you have to figure out how you're going to shoot these scenes. So let's say if you're shooting a hospital video, you got to make sure that you're not uh, in the middle of a state inspection or something that's going to affect your your shot. So lighting is just one little small piece of the puzzle. You have the lighting, you have camera styles, you have audio, and we could sit here all day long and talk yeah. about all these things. Yeah. And and you you meant you just mentioned audio um, too many times. We, I would say 99% of the time when we walk into uh, a scene, we've never seen it before. And the client has reserved that room, that venue for you to do an interview uh, or to uh, do a, a conference. And you find out that the room is incredibly hollow and the audio is just terrible. No one considers that. And what's interesting particularly, is... Particularly your clients. They don't think about that. They, and, right. Or they say, oh, there's plenty of... They'll say, there's plenty of windows. There's plenty of light that's coming in here. Well, I don't want... That's the last thing we want yeah, as producers. As, as, we want to as, control the light. As DPs, we need to control the light. And if we can't control the light, we're screwed. Absolutely. And it's interesting because um, they'll say to you, some, the person that's hiring you, uh, this, is the, this is the best area that we, we, we decided that you're going to be in. And I'm like, best for who? Yeah. Us as a production yeah. crew or the best for you because it's convenient. Right. So you get into that room and all of a sudden you're hearing the leaf blower guy outside the yeah. window yeah. Um, and you can't make him go away. That's and almost that's, a guarantee. And then they, right. And they're like, well, I didn't think of that. You know, so yeah. Yeah. again, what I'm trying to explain and, and, to the audience. And, 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 an, and an option for that is that if you're stuck there, you can't move, and there's a guy mowing the lawn out there, or he's got a leaf blower. Yeah. If, if they're under contract, you're gonna go out there with a $20 bill. Or more. You know, now if it's a neighbor, then you say, hey, do you mind, you know, uh, resuming in about an hour, this is what we're doing, and as long right. as the, the neighbors get along. Uh, but you walk out there with a $20 bill and say, can you sit on this for another 
half, half an hour, hour. Or can you yep. go to the other side of the building <laughs> right. if you if you need to do that this right. is what we're doing and and usually that's what happens the whole reason why i decided to put this podcast together cuz so many people you're so expensive why do you charge what you charge i don't understand i mean i got to hire the kid you know for a couple hundred bucks or i say you know, let them you know, go, go, we, we got we got uh, we got this new guy that we just hired out of college. He took a film course, yeah, and he's going to use his iPhone to uh, record this. And and I find it frustrating because you have to educate them. You have to you have to tell them all. The, it's it's like you know you figure by by the time you get to our age and been in this business for twenty and thirty and forty years that that you wouldn't have to go through this process over and over and over again. Ten years ago. What was all the rage was the flip phone. And I don't know how much work we lost to corporate America because everyone was given flip phones and they would just come back with anything and everything. And most times when the client would eventually get back to us a year later saying, yeah, we, we tried to use the flip phones, but you know, the audio wasn't very good or, or else their face was was really dark and that's because you know there was a lot of light in the background and the phone just you know adjusted for the light right. and and they were a silhouette and yeah and and you know we, we really couldn't use it okay what you and learn? that I mean that still continues on today even though that yeah. these phones have this is the latest iPhone even though these phones have become amazing um, you still have to have proper audio. You still have to have yep. a good story. Yeah. So again, what I the whole reason why I did this is because the whole reason why I put this podcast together is to show somebody in corporate America why what the value is to hire a a production crew to do the right thing as opposed to hope and wish and pray that you're going to get something off of this. Now you may. Be you know, you may be able to pull it off with something like this, you know, where we're just walking down the street and giving a short little video. But if you're a company that's trying to represent yourself in, in the best way you can, there's many steps involved, and that is you yeah. know a, a good story. Yeah, so. and and some of them do learn. They they have figured it out. Not enough of them have figured it out though, and and they're gonna they get burned, and then eventually. They come to people like us. Um, so, Bill, I got a few more questions for you here. All right. <laughs> in your 40 plus years of it being in this video production business, what was the the worst live event disaster that's happened to you? I've had two. Okay. One, somewhat recently, I'd say about three years, three four years ago, um, NBC hired me. And I'm a field guy. I'm an ENG guy. They didn't have anything for me. And they asked me to come into the studio. And they said they needed to do uh, a studio shoot. Okay, and I said, well, I, it's been a while, but I, I know my way around studio cameras. Um, as long as it's simple, it shouldn't be a problem. You know, man, I know how to operate the cameras. Oh, okay, fine. So they, they do this one bit in the afternoon and it works. It's fine. So they asked me to stay later. I said, oh, okay. I find out that I am the main camera 
for, at the time, it was the Brian Williams newscast. And they put me on this camera with Brian. And if you're not used to that, if you don't know what they, I don't know why they did that. I don't know if they, they did it on purpose. I don't know if they did it on purpose yeah. or if it was just to prove a point that they have to have their people in there to do that. Uh, but I screwed up big time because I'm trying to listen. This is the first time I'm doing this. Yep. And I'm listening to the director and this is live. I screwed up big time. And it, and of course, you know, that went out live at 6.30 and then they have an, uh, if it's a good show, they re just redo it at seven o'clock for the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Well, they had to ha redo it all, and they got somebody else to replace me uh, to do. Uh, but it's it's a very it's a very subtle thing, and it was it was just I felt bad because I know Brian, and I used to work with him when I worked at at WCBS, and we're buds, and. I just felt terrible, and I and I told these people. I said, "Look, I I don't do this. That's okay. Don't just listen to the director." And uh, it, it, the toughest part is when they're lying, laying down live graphics, and you have to put them to the left or right. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, the graphics and, are and over his move, face, and you have to move them in there. Yep. And you and you really and you have to hit a button to see, you know, how it's the return developing. on the camera. Yeah, re the return on the camera. Yep. And, Oh, oh, oh it, was, it was it was just awful. It's it's nerve-wracking. Oh, oh, it was, it was terrible. But and but the other live event, I was doing a, a a thing on pool safety for the CBS morning show. Mm -hmm. This was in I think the late 80s. And we had our I was working for WCBS, but a lot of times the network would hire us to do their live. If they have a lot of live hits, they have only have a certain amount of crews. Instead of hiring freelance, they would hire the local crews to do the, okay. the, the, the morning news live stuff. So we were up in Westchester uh, at an outdoor pool uh, in ground, <laughs> and... Uh, my partner was doing the camera. I was in the truck, um, and the truck was, you know, working off the generator. And as we had someone diving off the board, and this is again live, as he was diving off the board, the truck generator just died. It just cut out. Stopped working. It just stopped right. working. So it went to black. Everything went to black and for a few seconds. And then, you know, I had to start up the, I tried to restart the, the generator. I, uh, I turned on the, the engine. I used the inverters because the generator wasn't working. And, and, and then we got the signal back. And, you know, they had the fudge back in New York live. And, uh, it was yep. just one of those things that it was it was a, a monumental disaster but nobody yeah. nobody nobody died right <laughs> you know and that's and the, that's uh, and, that, that's and that's a, 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 a live it's, event it's, it's not brain surgery so, so speaking of disasters 
what, what could go wrong, what can go wrong, or what has gone wrong on a corporate video shoot um, regarding a client hiring you, and maybe they were, uh, a lot of times what I find, that they're unprepared. No, that they, no, 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 no. Okay. The work, for me personally, and, yeah. and this is you know a, a confessional, I didn't roll. We were doing a CEO, wow. and wow. we, now, the, and I was really embarrassed, you know, we were, I was being touted as, you know, this is, you know, a guy from, you know, formerly CBS, uh, he, was, he knows what he's doing, da, 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 and everything's fine, and in the end, when I go to hit, you know, the stop button, I realized that when I hit that button, I was then recording. And everything that the CEO had done, it was an interview style thing, wasn't recorded. Now, the good news is that he was still there and we could do it again. So we didn't miss anything. And that's important. But, you know, and I, you know, you, you hear those stories from time to time and it's like, oh my God. And, I've, you know, I've made those mistakes too. And what I've done in a situation like that would be, I said, that was good. I think we could do a little bit better yeah. performance. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> let's think about this, or let's. And, it, and then all of a sudden, he does a better performance. Yeah. But clearly, you as a camera operator forgot to hit the record but button. There, there what are, was stop? Was start? And what was there, start? Was there stop? Are, there are times where you just you've got to give it up and say, Yeah, you got to own up to I, it. I I screwed up, and and you know what? That that goes to character, as far as I'm concerned. You got to be willing to admit you were you were bad, you were wrong. I don't know. I guess that wraps it up. Okay. I, I think we've talked about everything under the sun. I'm sure there's a, lots of other things to talk about. 